It's a busy week in Chapel Hill, and we're here to give you all the latest news and updates on it. This is the Talking Hills Podcast. My name is Nick Delahanty. The guy on the right of your screen is none other than Jordan Falls. We got football. We got men's basketball. We got women's basketball. Heck, we can even talk some field hockey. There's a lot going on. First and foremost, Jordan, how's it going? Good, Nick. How you doing, man? Oh, I'm great, especially after a Tar Heel victory this weekend. Uh, the last two weeks, it felt like we were coming on here just to rip and be negative. But you know what? There was a lot to really like about that Carolina game. 59-7 to was the final score over Campbell. And, of course, the men's basketball team got underway on Monday night, defeating Radford by a score of 86-70. to But before we get there, let's jump into football. Now, of course, say what you want. Campbell is a team that should not be on the field in terms of talent with the Tar Heels. We understand that. But I personally, and I, I can't wait to hear your opinion on this, I personally think that that was the perfect timing for a game like that in, in regards to they've been struggling. We we know that. And let's be honest, the beginning of that game, they were sleepwalking a little bit. It was 7-7 at one point. For the Tar Heels, they needed that, especially heading into this week when you host Duke on senior night. Yeah, 100%. That Let's call it what it was. That was a pay game for Campbell. They they had no business being on that. They were out there to get paid. And and on the flip side, that's a game that Carolina really needed. It came out at the right time. And uh, Matt Brown has been adamant. He wants to start the year four non-conference games and the rest of them conference. But this one, it actually works out pretty well. And he even said after the game, he can see why teams do this. And it, it gets you set up for the final stretch of that season or of your season where the meaningful games are played in November. And we're facing going to a stretch of three meaningful games that you could, if you run the table, you're 10 and two. And that, that's a good season for Carolina football. And uh, they needed that coming off two losses. Campbell gave them some problems early and challenged them with some things that Virginia and Georgia Tech did, but it helped Carolina adjust a little bit. They were able to adjust a little bit better to Campbell than they had to Virginia or Georgia Tech. Uh, Campbell went tempo early, and they still they had some success going tempo and uh, running the ball early. Carolina was able to make some adjustments and get right. Obviously, stepping up level in competition this week with Duke will be interesting to see how much better that uh, get-right game was, per se. But, uh, yeah, it was a game the Tar needed for sure. Yeah, and, and you mentioned the defensive side of things. We saw Cedric Gray and, and others talk about the communication factor. This was a great week to be able to get those kinks out and to figure out, okay, we're not doing this well before the snap. We're not doing that well, you know, as we're communicating. That's a big thing. And Mac Brown said it, and at the time, we were all questioning it. At the end of the half, they had that really ugly end where the field goal unit started going onto the field. They didn't get enough time to – to spike the ball to get them out there. And Mac Brown said it perfectly. And you know what? Honestly, it is something that, you know, you look at now and you're like, okay, it didn't hurt you. But I would rather have happened there than in a tie game with Duke, if that makes any sense. 100%. Same thing for the defense. Like, you rather them have a blown assignment against Campbell. No offense to Campbell, but you can afford those missed assignments. And still come out with a win, but you can on the defensive side. You can you have time to tweak and play with those things on the sideline or in the middle of even a play or pre-snap and get adjusted. 
And then you know that in the Duke game, hey, remember when we did this last week? Doing the same thing here. Or like you said, with the with the field goal in the half, we were all frustrated. Uh, it's something that shouldn't happen, but it did. You're out of timeouts. Coaches or players were hollering one thing, and then somebody else was hollering another, or they had something else planned. Drake's an experienced guy, so as soon as he saw the field goal team coming on the field, he's going to go off. Um, but it's something they can get worked out this week in practice and know, hey, next time we're in that situation, this is what we're doing. And if it comes against Duke, those three points might be valuable, or Clemson, or State. So you won the game 50, 52 to seven or fifty nine to seven, and that that game uh, that game doesn't it, the three points didn't hurt you. I think the positives out of it, obviously, Tez Walker's healthy. He played sparingly, had two catches, two touchdowns. You, you're thrilled to see him on the field. You hope to see Nate McCollum back for the stretch run. He's banged up again. Maybe that's why he's had some trouble with drops of late. Who knows what's going on with him? But you get out of that game, no major injuries. You look good offensively. The defense starts to take shape and show some signs of life. And you know what? You have to be encouraged going into Duke. And Duke's going to be shorthanded. No Riley Leonard. That's a big loss for Duke. But you know what? You have to go into that game and realize, like, Carolina's had trouble with backup quarterbacks. And Duke's going to want to run the ball. And that's something that Carolina struggled with. Yeah, Carolina struggled with uh, what – on the football terminology side of things, you hear them called line of scrimmage teams. And basically teams are going to win that the battle of the line of scrimmage, run the ball, beat you up front. And uh, you expect them to, but they beat Campbell up front as they should have. Uh, they held them to 2.4 yards per carry and they averaged eight and a half yards of carry. So you, you want to win those battles on the line of scrimmage. So again, Campbell get right game. That helps you prepare for what you're going into this weekend. We're, with a freshman quarterback and Grayson Loftus, who is expected to start Saturday night, you expect Duke to run the ball early and often. I think against NC State, their quarterback, it wasn't Loftus at the time, but the other quarterback, he only completed four passes in the game, and they won 24-3. to So you expect that Duke will run the ball early and often. And you have to get on the board early if you're Carolina because you have to put that pressure on Duke to feel like they have to throw the ball. Mike Elko's a great coach. We've talked about him a couple of times in our short existence of this show, you know, but they understand that no Riley Leonard means their game plan is going to have to change a little bit. So to get him throwing and put the pressure on a young kid in Chapel Hill, where let's face it, Duke Carolina hits different. You know, the fans are going to be lively. It's a primetime game. It shouldn't be like a Campbell where half the stadium's filled. It's going to be filled. It's going to be electric. And you expect that, you know what? The crowd's going to play a big factor in it. Yeah, Saturday night, under the lights, Keenan Stadium, battle for the victory bell. Uh, senior night, will Drake May last game potentially? Uh, there's so much electric atmosphere. You want to put the pressure on Duke and Grayson Loftus to have to throw the football. And if you can get up 7-0, 10, 14-0 early, get three and out and stop and score, they start feeling like they can't run the ball because then you can't play time. You can't play ball control. You can't control the clock, time, possession. You have to score because you have to. You want Carolina wants this to be a trap meet. Um, and the last three weeks they have been, and uh, you'd like to see that keep going. Yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned Drake May, and Drake came out and basically said, "Senior day is for seniors. I haven't made a decision yet." Now, of course, there are going to be people that read that and say. Drake May's coming back 2024, yada, yada, yada. But 
Let's calm down on the optimism there. Drake May, I, I think, would be foolish to turn down the NFL, especially if he's going to be a top five pick. You know, you always have to think about the injuries and the what ifs. And, you know, as much as we would all love him to come back, like neither one of us is going to complain if Drake May says, you know what, I'm enjoying college, I'm going to come back. But the amount of money he'd be turning down and you have to be looking at it like next year, it's going to be even worse when he takes a hit. Cause you're going to be like, Oh my goodness. He's really losing out on money. If he like tears his ACL or something, you know, the thing that I hate about it is Drake's probably going to leave and we're not going to get a proper chance to say thank you. And that's the thing for me that kind of hits a little different and it upsets me a little bit because he does deserve a nice round of applause from the Keenan faithful. Yeah, and Matt Brown touched on that in his press conference on Monday was that he got asked if Drake would walk. He said it was his decision. He would like him to so that the fans can say thank you. And uh, I believe we all would love to say thank you, but I also respect Drake for saying senior day is for seniors. That that means something too. And then, of course, we talked about last week, my optimism is sky high. So as soon as Drake says, I haven't made a decision yet, I'm starting to think, oh, is this like a – is he a Tyler Hansbrough type mindset where he just loves college so much? He's coming back for a third year, fourth year. Um, wants to do something in that's never been done or hasn't been done in 40 years and win an ACC championship. Probably not going to get that chance this year. Does he just love college that much? Uh, and maybe he does, and we just don't know it. But I think to pass up on – he's in some drafts right now, he's predicted to be number one overall. And I, I don't see how you could – turn down that opportunity as a quarterback. And I think Caleb Williams' decision is going to play a big role in what Drake May does. Because you remember a couple of weeks back, they were saying that he's not guaranteed to go and he wants ownership and all this garbage and who knows how much of it is true. But if Caleb Williams says, you know, I'm not done in college, I don't want to go to X or Y, whoever ends up being the team destined to have the first pick, and he stays, if you're Drake May, how could he turn down being the number one overall pick? Because a lot of people have Caleb Williams and him as 1A and 1B. And it flip-flops. Like, now you see Drake coming in at number one on the draft board. I, I just don't see how you could turn it down. But, again, for somebody like Drake, he doesn't want to be a distraction. He knows if he walks on senior day, the next three weeks and the bowl game are going to be, what's Drake May going to do? Where's he going in the draft? And it's going to be about him and not the team. And that's not the kind of guy Drake is. Yeah, Drake just wants to win, and that's the bottom line. And he's focused on being Duke Saturday night. But, yeah, you're right. If Caleb Williams decides not to go, then, I mean, the path to Drake being number one is obviously there. And I just – I think the football aspect is one area that the NIL money and NIL aspect of college is not going to change. The NFL paid – at least for the first-round guys in the top 15, that paycheck for that for – that, NFL draft pick is just so high. I don't think any NIL money can touch that. We talk about NBA and college. Armando Baycott coming back made more sense for him to do that. NIL, obviously, the women's side, the NIL money is out of the roof compared to the uh, WNBA. But with NFL, I, I just don't think it's there yet. And Drake will be. I, I hope he comes back. I, I really do, but I, I just I don't I don't think he will with the NFL money. He would be turning down. And, and you mentioned the injuries and football is a contact sport. You're more likely to get hurt in it than any other sport. And yeah, he can get insurance on this other stuff, but that's still a lot of money and a big risk. Oh, absolutely. And honestly, I think Drake is a kid that's going to succeed wherever he goes because he just has that mindset and that 
that work ethic. And we've seen it over the last two years in Chapel Hill. Tough kid, really good at what he does, works tremendously hard. So if he ends up going to a Chicago or an Arizona or the Giants, somebody who are rebuilding, I think he can make it happen. And no, I don't want to see him as a Giant. I'm a Jets fan. So if he's a Giant, I'm going to be very upset. But I will go watch him. I'll wear my Carolina Drake jersey to, to MetLife Stadium. And they'll like me. It's okay. They won't know I'm a Jets fan. It's okay. One uh one thing to point out from the Campbell game, and, and part of it is from Carolina scoring so much and so fast, but still losing that time of possession battle, uh, 38 minutes to 21 minutes. That's still a lot, uh, a huge gap that needs to be closed down, especially going in these final three weeks. You can't lose that battle to Duke by that much because they are going to run the ball. And Carolina's going to have to slow the pace down because that's the biggest problem with it. They're, the offense moves at a stellar rate. They drive down the field in a minute, 32 minutes, and then the defense didn't even get a chance to have a sip of water on the sideline. It's it's tough to keep up and sustain, and we've seen that the wear and tear is there, and how could you really blame the defense for trying to stop an, an opponent for 40 minutes a game? That's nearly impossible. Right, and now I grab a breather. They don't have time to make an adjustment because by the time you get the sideline, get the whiteboard out, it's, Hey guys, grab your helmet. Let's go. Kickoff so, team. Yeah, like, um, so you want to be able to have, you don't want to change your offense or change your rhythm on offense, but you do want to maybe take a few extra seconds getting play in or whatnot. And obviously, if you're in a rhythm and going and going fast, and the other team isn't subbing and can't stop you, go because points are valuable too, right? And you don't want to go so slow that you're not scoring at the end of a drive, but you do want to give the defense time to catch your breath make adjustments, and adjust to what the offense is doing. So that will be something to look for. Again, Campbell's a wild card there. When you score 59 points and score at the rate Carolina was, and a lot of guys played, and so that didn't matter as much. But going forward, we've seen it be a problem against Virginia and Georgia Tech with time of possession. Sky change going this week, going into this weekend. Before we get into Duke predictions, it was great to see so many guys. We talked about Amari Campbell last week. He had a big sack, his first career sack. Connor Harrell looked very good, had the 61-yard uh, run, first scored through a touchdown pass to Chris Culliver. We saw a lot of new faces. There were, there were some promise from the guys that don't really get to see a lot of playing time. Yeah, Connor, Connor Harrell has some wheels. I think he topped out 22 miles an hour on that run. Uh, that's, that's Tyreek Hill type speed right there. Uh, we might have but, to put him at wide receiver at this point. Maybe, but uh, – yeah, I mean, probably looking at if that's the future of cutoff football quarterback if Drake doesn't come back and they don't gain by it uh, in the portal or anything. That, I mean, he showed some promise and made a good throw uh, on Will out. And uh, like you said, with the run, might, might see a little bit more running like we did pre-Drake May. I think Drake, is, Drake can run, but they kind of tried to protect him more, especially this year, obviously going back to keeping him healthy. But you saw Sam Howell run a little bit and mixing some runs in the offense, you might see that more next year with Connor Harold. And you got him, him and Hampton in the backfield running some option option runs. Be pretty deadly. And that first pass that Harold made was an absolute dart. Let's just put down the record. Oh, yeah, for sure. And he had a really good deep ball down that sideline. Yeah, that pass to Culliver was perfectly placed. She couldn't have put that ball better. Now, Duke, do they win the game? And I'm talking Carolina. I'm not talking – Duke, who, who wins this game on Saturday night? Carolina's winning this game Saturday night. They're not losing Drake's last game in Keenan. I have to agree with you there. I, I just think that 
this week was kind of like the rebound week. I'm going to be optimistic, okay? I'm usually negative. Uh, the well, last couple of weeks have been welcome negative. Aboard. Welcome aboard. I'm, I'm going to go back to being optimistic, the early the early Nick Delahanty, okay? They're going to win this week. I think it's going to be a nice boost to get them into Clemson. Then NC State, we know NC State's quarterbacks setting out for God knows why he's redshirting now. But after winning a couple of straight games, eh, it's okay. We're just going to redshirt you. It's fine. But I do think that Carolina is going to bounce back nicely in ACC play. They're going to win this week, and then we worry about Clemson next week. I heard the explanation on MJ Morris today was that he was supposed to redshirt last year, and then Leary got hurt, and they had to bring him in and burn his redshirt was the reason I heard. And so this was a way to repay his redshirt. And they were planning on redshirting him this year anyway because – Armstrong was supposed to be the guy, and they had a burn. Well, that makes sense. I understand that, but now you're well, winning games you're and he's ready and, to play. You're six and three, and now you're burning his red shirt. I, he's ready now. Why burn his red shirt? But anyway, but now is that a is is that a ploy to get Brennan Armstrong to play? Like kind of like you know you transferred here, you've been a good guy. You know we feel bad about how everything worked out. We're gonna we're gonna throw you a bone here. I I'm not sure. I really am not sure that it's just I was so surprised when I saw that text come through. I was like, wait a minute, what? Weird situation for sure. Uh back to Carolina Duke. Uh yeah, I I think this is a like I said, I think Campbell was a get right game. I don't think Carolina loses this game. I don't think it's close either. I think Oh, blowout. I, I don't think it's close. It might be close for one of the Fourth quarter, but I think I, I think Carolina wins this game by at least two, if not three possessions. Ooh, Jordan with the boldy right here. I, I'm gonna say it's gonna be like 35-17. I, I just freshman quarterback Carolina's gonna stop the run, like unlike they've been to the last two weeks. We're gonna see the Carolina we saw against Miami. The, the I sure hope so. The, the big, it's big atmosphere, big energy. Uh, the last two games. Prior to Campbell, they kind of came out a little flat, he felt like. And I believe I even saw uh, uh, Jacob Turner, Tarly Illustrated, said that on the sideline he kind of felt that a little bit. But I, I think this was a big different. I think, like I said, senior night, night game, battle for the victory bell, rivalry, Drake's potential last game, likely last game, uh, 35-17. Feels. I like it. I like it. I'm going to go 31-28. I think the defense is going to struggle a little bit with the run. I just expect it to be a close game. Carolina is going to win it. They're going to. It's going to be an, a good night, but I do think it's going to be close. So we're we're going to keep it there. Now let's get into basketball. The college basketball season has started. It's kind of like Christmas. I I like. I woke up on Monday morning, and for the first time in a very long time, on Monday morning, I was actually happy to wake up. I was like, oh yes, this is beautiful. Carolina takes care of business against Radford. First half they were only up five going into the locker room. They come back in the second half. They start to pull away. There are a lot of things to talk about, but before we get into the actual game, Carolina had a little bit of chaos before the game. Paxton Wilczyk gets elbowed by Armando Baycott, splits his head, has 10 stitches. They had to make him wear a headband. It was chaotic before the game even started. He had to go through concussion protocol. There's a chance yeah. to play. Um, yeah, it was, uh, welcome to college basketball season. I, uh, I really, it's like Christmas morning. It's uh, Christmas number one of two for the college basketball season. Christmas Christmas number two is Selection Sunday because that is awesome too. But uh, as long as the Tar Heels are in it, 
Yeah, we don't recognize Selection Sunday from 2023, so we don't have to worry about it. But, uh, yeah, a lot of good things to come out. We can talk probably for an hour and a half, two hours about last night. We saw pretty much a bunch of everything. Okay, so I want to give you a couple of takeaways. Um, I, I want to—I'll give you the floor as well. But number one, they—they they didn't necessarily come out sluggish, which is something I was happy about. They were playing with a lot of energy, a lot of pace. The turnovers—they were concerning, obviously, because when you're in a track meet, we've seen it before. Carolina teams that run are going to turn the ball over. You just know it's going to happen. It, they were a little sloppy, but I—I I put that to the test of number one. You're playing in front of the Dean Smith Center crowd for the first time in a real game. So that alone is nerve-wracking. That first experience is Carolina Tar Heel. The second thing is Hubert Davis used the bench a lot. They were going three to four minutes and then switching it up. So there was no continuity as they were mixing and matching. Overall, I thought they played extremely well for their opening game. I didn't expect them to be perfect. You know, they shot the ball well early from deep, but they started to struggle. Instead of chucking up shots like we saw them do last year, what did they do? They facilitated. They drove to the basket. They got Armando Baycott involved. So there are a lot of different things that this team did well in that game. And it was nice to see them pull away. Because Radford played a good first half. They shot the ball extremely well. Oh, absolutely. And that that was one thing. I feel like this is something we're going to see a lot this year. And you usually see every year with Carolina because – when you play in the non-conference and you play these mid-majors, everybody is pumped to play North Carolina. That that's who that's just the standard of the program. And so when you got teams coming to the Smith Center hyped up, there one or two things is probably gonna happen. One, they're gonna play out of their mind and uh shoot lights out, or they're gonna be so amped up they're not gonna be able to make a shot. And I think we we saw Rafford be able to make a lot of shots, especially early. And uh give Rafford credit, they're a really good basketball team, but there's a lot of good things done well. Like you said, I feel like Hubert played a lot of guys, and I feel like part of that was in all season and all last year was, oh, I, Hubert doesn't play the bench. And so I feel like that was a big, hey, I, I played the bench, guys, all right? And now you got people play, complaining he played the bench too much. So you can't really satisfy the fan base. They're going to find something to complain about. I even tested you last night during the game at halftime. I stayed off of Twitter. For most of the first half, I didn't want any overreactions because it happens every year. I wanted to just watch the game and get my own takeaways. And, yeah, being up five at the half on Rafford is a little concerning when you look at it on paper. But then you start to realize, hey, you got a bunch of newcomers. You only have four guys from last year's team. Uh, Seth Trimble had played this offseason because he's been recovering from an injury. He didn't play the scrimmage or the exhibition. Uh, Withers didn't play in the exhibition. So, and even – take all that out of it this is the first time on the floor in a real game for all these guys together and you mentioned it playing a bunch of different lineups that's going to happen that we saw uh Roy Williams do that with in the early in the offseason or in the non-conference you play different lineups to see who jails together the best so that when you get into those uh conference games in January and February you know which lineups to play and so you'll see Hubert do that a lot but you had nine guys play double figures in minutes Everybody played well. You had turnovers. The concerning parties, you had turnovers from uh, RJ, Cadeau, and Ingram, probably your two or your three best ball handlers with two each. But that's to be expected. Cadeau is a freshman. First game as a, as a true college athlete. So 
he made a pass, he made one pass that was a pitch ahead that he probably shouldn't have made. And again, Ingram, he found some guys open too. He had three assists. So there's hustle turnovers, and we can live with that, especially when you want to get out and run. And Carolina ran more last night than I've seen them run in two years. Oh, yeah, absolutely. The pace was so much different. And you look at it, and yeah, the turnovers were there. Cadell, but for the two turnovers that Cadell had, he had six assists that were highlight real type of assists. Like Armando Bacot has not had a guard that could get him the ball under the, under the basket like Cadell does. It's just how it is. And the one thing that stood out to me, the beginning of the game, how the game start? They gave the ball to Mondo, got open for a, a nice, easy dunk. That's got to be the bread and butter. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I think that's going to be all year. That wasn't just a Radford thing because of, we were bigger than them. I think that's all year, even against when you get into Connecticut, Kentucky, Duke, Miami, feed, feed them Mondo. And you have to. And he played well, 29 minutes, and he had 25 and 13. Like, very efficient, 10 or 16 from the floor. The concerning part, and this isn't a knock on Armando, more so the rest of the team, but 13 rebounds, nobody else had more than four. And against Rafford, you'd like to see that number be a little bit higher from the other guys. And they got out-rebounded some that you felt like they should have been boxing out and they weren't. But those are things that, that you're going to see in game one. They will clean that up. I, I'm very. I was very excited and very pleased with last night's performance. It was really what I expected to see. Like I went into this game thinking you're going to have defensive miscues, you're going to have miscommunication because they're they're still trying to gel together. The the depth part that you talked about a little bit earlier, it just goes to show that this year's team is so much deeper. Last year's team was not deep. I'm sorry to tell everybody, but they weren't. Look at the guys who are playing elsewhere that in their first game with their new team, Tyler Nickel played a good amount for Virginia Tech. He's probably the one that you would say, you know what, I would have liked to have seen more of what he could do because they said he can't play defense and kind of wrote him off. He had 12-7 and seven in their first game. You look at DeMarco Dunn, three points off the bench for Penn State. Puff Johnson's hurt. Uh, Dontra Styles is playing in his opener on Tuesday night. Other than Caleb Love, the transfers really aren't playing much. So if you look at it from that perspective, this team is a lot deeper. And Hubert Davis kind of flexed that by playing so many guys. A guy like Zayden High, who has impressed during the offseason and, and leading up to the season, only played eight minutes. And you could have justified him playing a little bit more. So when you look at it from that perspective, it's good to see. The rebounding topic. Yes, the first half they rebounded terribly. Armando had nine of their 13 rebounds. That can't physically happen. You you have to help him out. But the thing I did like was that multiple guys had three or four rebounds. It wasn't just a one-guy effort. I think if it would have been, say, Armando had his 13, and then Jalen Washington had eight, and then nobody else had more than one or two, I would have been annoyed. Because it's like two guys are, are doing all the dirty work. You had Ingram rebounding. You had RJ rebounding. You had Cormac rebounding. You had Paxson. These guys were all getting after. And yeah, the numbers aren't there, but I think that this team is going to have to be rebounding by committee other than Baycott. Yeah, and, and that is a very good point. Uh, you mentioned most of them. Uh, Jalen Washington, too, he had four. So, uh, and then you throw in uh, two for Cadeau and one for Withers, Trimble, Hine. Uh, Conoco got one late. But um, yeah, rebounding by committee, I, I would just, I would still like to see the numbers go up more like six, seven, especially against lower level opponents. But um, it'll, 
were you worried at, at halftime being only up five? Only? I wasn't. I I really wasn't because I felt like the score didn't really indicate how the game was going. I just felt like they were going to pull away. They just gave you that feel. They were energetic. They were playing tough. I knew Hubert was going to mix and match in the first half, and I was perfectly okay with that. The rotation kind of sharpened up in the second half, and you started seeing guys like Ingram see the floor better. He struggled in the first half. He he wasn't tremendous in the first half, but the second half, he found Cormac for an open three. That was a beautiful one-handed pass. What vision there. Cadeau started to settle down. You know, Mondo got going. And when you get those guys going, I just felt like last year's team, I would have been like, oh my God, we're going to lose this game. This is bad. This year's team, I, I have optimism that they could pull away. Even if they do struggle in the first half, which I didn't think they struggled mightily. I just thought that they had their miscues with turnovers. Yeah, I mean, you scored 46 points in the first half. You can't really say we struggled. Um, yeah, that's what I'm saying. You Raffer, can't really say that. And Raffer scored just did, like we said, they made some shots. I think the biggest thing that I took away was even late, I think they were up eight with 11 minutes to play somewhere in there, but they put them away. And, they put them, and when they put them away, they put them away for good. And it wasn't none of this, we're up 12 with four to the play. Oh, here comes a three, and it's back down to six. They never let Radford get back within single digits once they got to 12 or 10 points. And so I, I think that was one of the more promising things that, that happened last year that didn't happen to, uh, last night. For me, my most impactful player that I gathered from last night, and he didn't have a great set line, but he did a lot of good things well, was Cormac Ryan. I feel like he is – We've talked about Harris Ingram being the glue guy. I feel like Cormac Bryant will be the guy that does a little bit of everything. He can shoot the three. He get he's probably gonna get it. He plays really good defense. He had a really good steal and uh, fast break uh, that he led there in the second half. I feel like he's a guy that's gonna get the other team's best score every night. But then he can also score and rebound for you really well. I, I'm really excited to see Cormac. Cormac is this year's team's Brady Manic in terms of leadership. I was about to ask you. If you thought it was compared to Brady Manic, is he gonna be? As have, good as, is he as good as Brady, or are you, is it too, too early to tell? I think it's too early to tell, but I'm gonna tell you this, okay? When you look at Cormac Ryan, he is a player that when he's against you, you hate him. You physically hate him because of what he brings to the table. That toughness, that he has that cockiness about him. But when he's on your team. There's just something about him that you love. And that whole entire game, right? I, he acted like it was the national championship. Every time a teammate did something, he's fired up. He's You see him flexing, and he makes a basket, and he's celebrating down the court. Like, he brings that swagger and that energy this team needs. And I don't know if he's going to end up being as good as Manic, But like you said, I think he's going to do a little bit of everything for this team. They need a block. He's going to get it. They need a good assist. He'll get it. They need a bucket. He'll find a way. I just feel like he is going to be the X factor for this team because you know what you're going to get with Davis. You know what you're going to get with Baycott. Ingram's kind of like that glue guy. Cormac Ryan fits that bill of being that guy. I feel like that's really important too is you have what makes a team so great is you have a guy or you have a bunch of guys that do a little bit of everything well in their own way. You can have the superstar or two like uh, Baycott or Davis, but then you need a you need three to four other guys that do little role play. You need role players that do everything else really well. You don't need somebody. You don't need three guys that can score twenty five a night. You need 
one guy to score 25 a night, and then four other guys that can get you 10, 10 points, set, six rebounds, two or three assists here, you know, and just spread the wealth. And you look at a guy like Paxson. I think that Paxson could score 10 to 12 points a game on this team, especially given if he's on the court with RJ and, and Armando, he's going to get a lot of open looks and he can knock down some shots. So you have five guys in your lineup that can get you 10 to 15 points whenever you need it. Then you look at the bench. Jalen Washington scored like eight points in 10 minutes. He he was basically a point a minute. Cadeau, although his shot wasn't full and he was only two for six in that game, you have to expect that his numbers are going to go up too. So they have the options. And the thing that separates this team from last year was the ability and the willingness to make that extra pass and not being so focused on getting your own shot. Yeah, I feel like last night there was so much emphasis on an extra pass. They passed up some really good shots. And they still got a good shot out of the end of it, but you're just like, oh, you might still have shot that one. But there one was, too many. There it was like one too many passes. But uh yeah, I mean everybody did something really well. Paxson, like you said, he probably could be a 10 point game guy on this team, but he doesn't have to be because everybody else is doing little things well. Do you believe Paxson will stay in the starting lineup? And if not, I don't, and if not, who replaces him? I don't, and I don't want to disrespect Paxson because that's not my intention by saying that. But I really think that there's a a significant role for him off the bench. I, I really it. think that he would fit that role tremendously because look, the the obvious switch that a lot of people want to see, and when we posted the starting lineup on Keeping a Hill, we had the where's Elliot Cadell? And yes, we get it. I'm like one of his biggest fans. Like I get it. I understand it. But I think that Paxson being a veteran and being so savvy can understand how to embrace a role like that. And you could bring him off the bench and he can be your scoring threat off the bench or be a defensive presence off the bench. And I don't know if Cadeau is the answer to go in that backcourt with RJ, especially if you're playing a bigger team. Like you're not going to run that lineup out there against a Duke with Proctor and Roach and they have size. So, you know, you got to look at it from that perspective as well. I think the wild card here is when he gets fully healthy, Withers jumps into the starting lineup. I can see that. I I think Pats is a guy that started last night and might start the first few games of the year because he is of his uh, leadership and because he is experienced. But Cadeau could start. I, I, I agree with you where the size in the backcourt can become a problem, start RJ and Cadeau. They've said to the media day and in press conferences, it's not going to be a problem. But even Radford last night, they have a 5'11 guard, and he scored on RJ is telling him he's too small. Like, you're going to see that a lot. Like, you got a guy smaller than you score on you, and you're like – and he's telling you you're too small. So, when we get into conference play, you face, like you said, uh, Proctor and Roach and uh, Miami's guards. That might be become a problem where you can't – you don't have the ability to start RJ and Cadeau. I would like to see RJ and Elliott on the floor together. More, I think it would open up. I think it would cut down some turnovers and open up more scoring options for RJ specifically. But yeah, Withers could join the starting lineup for sure. Um, out of the guys on the bench, I think Withers is the guy that could join the lineup size wise. I don't see Jalen Washington, even though he played really well, I think he's more of a guy that can be, be, be behind Baycott because the way Huber likes to play, he, he is not going to start two bigs. Yeah, he's not Roy Williams in, the, in that regard. But if, if this were this team, that would be Baycott and Washington down low. 
and Withers would be at the three, and Harrison would be at the four, and RJ would be at the at the uh one. They would just have they would just have five forwards. Okay, it's okay. Yeah, we don't, exactly. need, a we don't right. need a guard. But hey, now, now tell me if I'm crazy. Okay, can we see multiple starting lineups this year? Like Hubert decides to mix and match. Like one game, you know, you're seeing a smaller backcourt. You go Cadell and, and Davis, but this team might be a little bit bigger. We're gonna throw Withers in there, and we're gonna move everybody up. I'm going to say yes, and I don't like it. Um, yes, because we heard Hubert say last year in some post-game press conferences that his lineup combinations depend on the other team's size. And you don't really see that much in college basketball, right? You usually see your starting five and your backcourt. You, what Hubert is trying to do, you see more at the NBA level. Like, hey, we're going to play matchups here. We're going to get Baycott on a smaller guy, or we want RJ on a bigger guy, or vice versa. Take advantage of some speed. I think Hubert will try to do that this year. I don't really like it as much because guys can't get into a rhythm. However, with this team and this experience, they might can understand that and see what Hubert is trying to do and execute it successfully. But, yes, I I, I wouldn't be surprised to see multiple starting lineups in multiple different situations, including Elliot Cadeau in the starting lineup. I think we'll see him at some point once he gets more experience. You could tell he has some first-game jitters last night, and that's to be expected. He's a reclassified possible senior. So um yeah, I think I think we'll for sure see multiple starting lineups. And you're gonna have a re- you have a reclassed senior who has drawn so much attention from the media and, and the public because of just the talent that he possesses. You could see it when he's up when he's up the court. He's a confident kid even when he's nervous. He was he was a little rattled and he said it in the post game. He was like, you know what I'm not used to coming off the bench. Yeah, because for his whole entire life, he's been the best kid on the floor. Like now, you're going to the college game. It's it's a little bit of an adjustment to come off the bench. Yeah, and he still might be the best player on the floor, but he's gonna be against yeah, other, arguably he, he's gonna be against other best players out there too. He's not gonna just be able to drive right by everybody. Somebody's gonna be able to stay in front of him at least contest him. So uh, it's gonna be a, it's gonna be really exciting to see him develop and grow throughout the year. Um, and maybe by Thanksgiving or a little after, we see him in the starting lineup. Maybe. So a month from a month from today, okay, we're gonna we're just gonna say it. A month from today, early December, who's your starting five? So the starting five. So a month from the day or a month from two days ago would been would be the UConn game. And Ooh, that I'll be there. Uh, I got my tickets in so MSG. Uh, that's coming off of uh, a first conference game against Florida State. But I'm a. All right, so let, we'll get the for sure out of the way. I think. And when I say different starting lineups, I do think that there are four that are set in place. Uh, Baycott, Cormac Ryan, RJ Davis, and Harris Ingram. I feel like those four will start every game. I feel like that fifth spot where we talked about with Paxson, I feel like that's where we could see some different guys slot in and out of that spot, whether it be Elliot Cadeau, Jalen Withers, or even Jalen Washington if you're facing a bigger team. I, I feel like those are the three guys that – I feel like there's eight guys for five spots. And uh, but for for a month from today, I'm I'm gonna say that uh, I'm gonna say that I'm gonna go I'm gonna agree with you. Jalen Withers will be starting a month from today. I wouldn't be surprised if it's Cadell, but I do think that Withers is gonna just earn that spot. He's big, he's physical. I I just see him being that nice compliment to Armando in the back in the in the front court. I'm saying back court. I'm thinking thinking big Roy Williams here in in the front court. We're, you know, help with rebounding and things like that. And they're going to obviously mix and match. So I think 
It's not how you start, it's how you finish anyway. And Withers, he had done a lot on the stat sheet last night. 15 minutes, four points, two of two, uh, one rebound, one turnover. So he did have two steals. That might be a guy that we'll see develop slowly. And again, I mentioned it earlier, but he was he was banged up against in the exhibition, so he didn't play. Again, that's his first time in the Smith Center in Carolina Blue. Obviously, he played uh for Louisville, so he's played there before, but it's still different when you're when you're wearing Carolina Blue. Oh, absolutely. And they seem to handle it well last night. They win the game, they win by 16. You gotta be uh, happy about it. If you want to hear our predictions on this season, go to Keeping a Heel. We posted our predictions on there. Pretty similar in nature there, my friend, but you know what? We, yeah, we think that this team's got a lot of talent. Yeah, uh, we were pretty much spot on as far as uh, we both think the same thing for this year. So that's good. Um, I would like to see Zayn High get some more minutes last night. I, I feel like eight was a little low for him. And then James Conoco got in late. Again, close game, so you can't play everybody. But those are two guys that we've seen a lot of Zayn High. We've talked a lot about Zayn High. He, he has a really high motor. Uh, and very effort-driven, only one rebound and had a turnover. But, again, hustle, effort, boxing out, things like that. So um, this team is deep. And this is and not a knock on last year's team not being deep, but this team is truly – you feel like you had the first five and the second five comes in and there's not a huge, oh, my God, drop-off. And I don't know if you feel yeah. the same way. I'll, I'll turn over to you, but – when, when Baycock comes out and Washington comes in, I mean, there's going to be a little bit of a drop-off, but it feels like your second five is almost as good as your first five. What do you think? Yeah, I agree with you. And obviously, not many players are going to match Armando Baycock in, in terms of the country. He's the top five player in the country. Let's right. like, let's put it out there. But you, you feel confident with a healthy Jalen Washington. He did some nice things. You know, you could put him in there. He's serviceable. They, they have depth, and that's something we like. Even last year, you held your breath when there was an injury. Mondo played hurt half the year. RJ was banged up. If somebody, knock on wood, gets hurt, you have bodies that are capable of filling the void. Now, you don't wish for injuries, but you know what? You have depth, and that's a beautiful thing to have because we know the fresher you stay throughout the year, the better off you are come tournament time. Yeah, and I think that goes back to having depth and playing multiple guys, the quality of minutes they got. If Baycott played 29 minutes, and I still feel like that might have been a little high uh, given the circumstances and the talent behind him. Again, I would like to see Zayn High or Jalen Withers get some more minutes there. Uh, Zai had eight and Withers 15. Get Baycott down to 25. How's his legs going to be in February playing Duke when he's only played 21 minutes a game all year compared to the 35 that he was having to play at some points last year? So staying fresh, staying healthy, not battling those injuries. The most the guy played on the team was 31 minutes, and that was Cormac Ryan. And, again, he's an experienced guy. He can handle that. But keeping those legs fresh, you won't see their legs give out, especially for the shooters late in the year. So I, the depth cannot be talked about enough. Now, I, I don't know if you recall. I'm sure you do because you're just like me with the Carolina mind. But remember when Roy Williams used to play, and, and I think about it from that COVID year, where – his bigs would basically sub in and out every four minutes. I would like to see something with that for Armando, especially early on in the year. Not saying, obviously, come Duke time. I don't want Mondo playing 20 minutes or 25 minutes against Duke. I want him to play as much as we need him to. But for now, you know, ease him into the season. Keep his legs fresh. Get these other guys reps. Jalen Withers, high. 
they have the guys who could do it. Why not do it now? Yeah, I agree there. And not only subbing in four-minute segments, the other thing that Roy Williams was really prompt to do, per se, was that when a guy needed a breather, he would take him out right before that media timeout, like 16-10, 16-15 <laughs> Just when there's a dead ball right outside that media timeout, and then you let him sub, in, sub out, still in the, and then the next dead ball was a media. And so you got pretty much a free timeout or a free sub for 20, 20 seconds of game time. You're on the bench for five minutes. So that kind of helps. And we'd like to see Huber implement that a little bit this year. I think we will. I think, but right now, early on in the season, he's just played various lineups. I think I forgot how, how many different combinations. I think there's like nine or 11 com- combinations in the first half. There's about 35 from my count. I, I couldn't keep track. I'm sitting there. I'm like, okay, this is, I'm like, I, I lost track after the first five. There's a lot of different combinations, and I think that is very beneficial, especially early on. Like, Taro Finch just need to be patient. Don't overreact. Even against Leal Sunday or UC Riverside the next Friday night, take a breath and just relax. And as long as they're winning the game and winning comfortably, and, yeah, being up five and a half isn't comfortable, but you're there in the end of the game, you, was, you won by 16, and that's pretty comfortable. And for – First game. So that's something that should be expected. I saw somebody tweet. They said, and, and actually it's on X. I don't know what you call it now. So I'm going to call it a tweet. I call, it they said, <laughs> I call it Twitter too. It's just habit. But somebody said, did Hubert Davis sub more on Monday night than he did all last season? And I, I would love to see the numbers on that. He subbed a lot. I feel like, Remember during the junior football game where it was like, oh, Chip Lindsey didn't run the ball, and then against Georgia Tech, they ran it like 100 times. It felt like – I feel like that's just a big, like, we can't run the ball. I feel like that's what Hubert did last night. I didn't sub all last year. I heard about it all last year, all offseason. You want me to sub here, I'll sub. And he'll sub and sub and sub. And I feel like that was just an opening night thing. If it becomes a trend, Okay, I'm kind of worried about becoming that big of a trend because I feel like guys can't get into a rhythm when you're subbing that much. If you're playing in 30 second, a minute segments or a minute 30, yeah, you're keeping everybody fresh, but nobody's getting into a rhythm either. And that's where you see some turnovers and things like that. So hopefully we're not subbing to the rate that we did as much. And again, here I am complaining about subbing too much when we complained all last year not subbing, but there is a happy medium. And I think Hubert will find that. I feel like we just need to be patient as a fan base. I think so as well. And before we get to the women's side of things, it's important to note the Carolina family lost a legend this past week in Walter Davis, the uncle of Hubert Davis. And Walter had one of the biggest shots, if not the biggest shot in Carolina history. And his legacy will live on forever, but it just feels like another living legend has gone too soon. Yeah. Sweet D. Uh, that, that shot was well before either one of us, but, uh, We've all seen it, eight points in 17 seconds, and at 25-footer capped off the comeback. 25-footer was only worth two points back then, by the way. So uh, capped the comeback, sent the game to overtime against Duke, and then Carolina eventually won the game. Uh, and to uh, have an eight-point comeback, and that little time without three-point line is impressive. But uh, Walter Davis, a freshman, when he hit that shot, was a legend at Carolina and will be missed. And you know what? I think that's a beautiful thing about – Everything that Carolina does is, you know, we weren't around for that, but we're both well aware of that because Carolina respects and honors its history so well. Like, you know, not many fan bases are so fortunate that their 
program has such an illustrious history. And, you know, the Michael Jordans, the Walter Davis, the Dean Smith, you, you get to know and understand what these guys were about and what they accomplished. And it's just such a special thing. So it's, it's a heartbreaking loss. It's like watching somebody that we actually got to watch because it's so well documented. Yeah, I think that's a testament to the Carolina family. And it's not just the players or the coaches. It's the fans, too. And everybody's connected because of Carolina. And uh, you connect with the e-bike, with a random person walking down the street. It's got a, you see the interlocking and see, hey, Carolina family, right? And so uh, I feel like that's just a testament of what Carolina has built, uh, not just in the basketball program, but as an athletic department. Yeah, very special. And we send our condolences to the Davis family. It's a terrible loss and shocking. It's kind of, you know, it was not expected by any means passed away due to natural causes. So we do send our respects to the Davis family. Now, kind of going back to the positive side of things, because Walter Davis loved the Tar Heels just as much as we do. The women open up their season on Wednesday night. They're going to host Gardner Webb. And we're finally going to get to see the number 16th ranked Tar Heels on the court with this new looking squad. Jordan, what are you expecting to see from this team? A lot of the similarities to the men's side, actually. Um, a lot of depth, some newcomers with a lot of talent. Uh, Lexi Garnoski, Big 12 Player of the Year, Defense Player of the Year, and uh, obviously some star returners, uh, Alyssa Utsi and uh, uh, Deja Kelly. So, I expect to see a lot of the same that we saw with the men is maybe some early game jitters, early game mistakes going on, but uh, they'll sell in and get going pretty good. And Gardner was a good team last year. Yeah. Carolina fans should be just as excited about this team as they are for the men's team. Number 100%. one, they, they have depth. They are deep They are, They brought in eight newcomers and they have seven returners. This team, they have very, very good talent. You start with Deja Kelly. I, I'm excited to see what Deja could do with this team, especially as a senior. She's going to lead this team. You know, she averaged around almost 17 points a game last year. I can see I go up to close to 18. She could be up there with the nation's best scores because that's what she's been in her entire career. Alyssa Utsby does a little bit of everything. Her role is going to change a little bit with this dynamic of this team. But as we've seen, she makes the winning plays. She does whatever this team needs. Maria Gokten, a newcomer. She's going to be a presence down low. Excited to see what she brings. Donarski, like you mentioned, a defensive player of the year. That's something that's very notable to add to this team. And Benghart loves to play defense and loves to put the pressure on, on that side of the court. And then you look at players like McPherson and Parrish that return that you're going to have healthy. Tioni Key is healthy. There's a lot to like about this squad. So much. And uh, when we did our interview with Matt Krause a few weeks ago, playoff playoff with the Tar Heels, uh, go check it out if you haven't. He mentioned the depth and how much you have from a guy or a girl like Maria Gotten who can provide that down low and uh, average two blocks a game last year in ACC. And you got Paris healthy and Tiana Key healthy, like you mentioned. So all those play a factor. And Banghart loves to play defense, right? So Lexi Darnoski, I mean, what better way to play defense than with her? So uh, they have a lot of potential. And ever since uh, Courtney Banghart stepped foot on campus, she's been working toward hosting a game in Carmichael for the NCAA tournament. And this team probably has the best chance to do it since she's been back or been in Chapel Hill. 
listen, I say it all the time, and, and you know I say it to you. I would run through a wall for Courtney Banghart. I absolutely love everything she brings to the table. She understands the Carolina family. She comes in from Princeton, and her passion for what she does and for that team, it's just infectious. You just you just grow with them and watching them over the last couple of years and getting to this point where they're a top 20 team in the nation. And in my opinion, can be a top 10 team with this grueling schedule they have. Pick a couple of uh, key victories. You're going to be in that top 10. But it's just something special going on in Carmichael. And they're going to show it on Wednesday night when they take on Gardner-Webb, who was 29-5 last year. But there's a whole new looking squad. If you want some more information on that, go to Keeping a Heel. I break it down for you a little bit more. They lost their top five scores and, and basically essentially their whole starting unit. Not many returners, a, a lot of new faces. But let's remember, in the current landscape of college basketball, you cannot take anybody lightly. Not with the transfer, transfer portal. Eh? Nobody should be taking anybody lightly. Um, Courtney Bainhart, she's probably one of the fiery coaches, most fiery coaches that we have on staff at Chapel Hill, I would I would uh, argue with she she gets you ready to run through a wall like you said and she will and she's not afraid of nobody she will call you out in a heartbeat uh we see some see her call some people out on social media for disrespecting the turtles already early this year uh won't name any names there but uh yeah she she gets you fired up and ready to roll and uh I'm very excited for this team uh Anybody that's not watching the women's side and just focus on the men needs to uh, flip the TV on Wednesday night when they take on Carter Webb uh, and get get on the train because this team has uh, a lot of potential, just as much potential as the men, in my opinion, if not more. And the one thing about the women's team, and I, I want to make this known, but if you follow their social media accounts, the women's basketball program, even the individual, the student-athletes, they're such a likable group. And they all have such different personalities and they showcase it. They they do the question, the question segment on TikTok where they ask them a question and they're having fun with it. And you could just see that this is a group that genuinely likes each other. They're, it's not put on. And it's just something growing so special in Carmichael. And like you said, people would be really dumb to just ignore it. They should really jump on the train now before it's too late. Yeah, if you're one of those people that's like, oh, I don't like women's basketball or it's not the same as the men, tune in Wednesday night and tune in the rest of the year because this is a really good group. And you mentioned they gel well together, but they have their own personalities too, and they're all unique in their own way and still very personal. I, uh, you, we talked about it a few weeks ago, but I was lucky enough to meet Alyssa Usby before the Miami football game and such a nice person and just wanted to talk about basketball and how excited she is for the upcoming year. And uh, she wasn't one of those athletes that's like, I ain't talking to some random person. Like I, I'm too big for that, you know. No, like they're really personable, and and that means something. And when you get to interact with the players on social media or see their stuff on TikTok, it it means a lot, and it gets you to buy in as a fan. And you're really you want them to do well, not only because you're a fan, but because you care about them and because they care about the fans too. So it's gonna be a really exciting year in Chapel Hill. Yeah, the the season starts off with some weaker opponents and as you expect, uh, some tune-up games. But they have a tough, nice conference schedule, too, and get to play the likes of uh, UConn and South Carolina and be some exciting stuff coming down the road. Absolutely. And not only does Courtney Banghart recruit good players, she recru recruits good people. And that's something that 
you not many programs could say that if you look at their roster from the best player on the roster to whoever's at the bottom of the bench, they are all genuinely good people and they're hard not to root for. Now, before we wrap up today's show, what's the ceiling for this team? Uh, I don't want to put the ceiling too high. but The, the ceiling, ceiling is the roof. The ceiling is the roof. The ceiling for this team is the final four. I, I, I was going to say the same thing. You took the I, words I out of my mouth. The ceiling for this team is the final four. Give And we all know how March goes. It depends on opponents and matchups and catching a break and getting a lucky bounce here and there. But the ceiling for the talent and depth of this team is the final four, and they can get there. And, and it won't um, be easy, but, but they can do it. It won't be easy, but I'm going to say this. And, and obviously, this is the start of the season. They're going to host a play a tournament game. They're going to play in Carmichael. And I expect that place to be packed. It better be packed or else I'll be very mad. I, I will be. I will throw hands you if that place is down, not you packed. You going to fly down from New Jersey for the game? Honestly, I would. I honestly would. And I would be bringing you with me. And we'd be doing a live show from Carmichael Let's somehow, some way. And that's how we're going to do it. We're going to be there for the tournament. But. Regardless, like you said, I think the ceiling is the final four. I do. I think this team is very talented. They're going to sneak up on people. Their schedule early on and throughout conference play is going to prepare them. And I think that they're going to be ready for postseason play when it comes around. I I will preface that with saying that I don't think this is a final four caliber team that you're going to see. Like if you do five college, women's college basketball, like South Carolina just blows people out by 20 or UConn blows people out by 20. This team's not going to do that. They're going to win tight games because they're a defensive-minded team. They're going to win games by four, five, six points, and but that's going to be what gets them to the tournament and gets them to host and gives them that potential to win the final or get to the final four. So they're not going to just skull drag everybody and run everybody out of the building, but they do have the ability to get to the final four, win in some tight games, and that's where that experience comes in. You win some close games with experience, girls and players that have been there and in that situation where those games were close. This team was really close to completing a comeback on Ohio State on the road in the NCAA tournament last year. So they know what it takes to win those close games, and you'll see that this year. Absolutely, and they're not playing a cupcake schedule like some others in the uh, country. So we're going to just – we're not going to throw shade at anybody, but we're just going to put that oh, out there. No, we'll, we'll throw shade. That that cupcake schedule team lost last night. <laughs> that Yeah, that, that's where we'll leave that out. All right, so – before we wrap up the show tonight, we have some big news about our show and about our brand. Make sure you follow us on X, Talking Heels, Twitter. We're going to be posting some good stuff for you on there. Interact with us. We're going to post some polls. We're going to talk some stuff. And we're going to be going live. Let's do it. Dun, dun, dun. We're going to be going live, people. Make sure you tune in on social media. We're going to tell you all the details about that. We're going to start giving you two shows a week, at least until football ends. We're going to give you some football talk. We're going to give you some basketball talk, but we're going to give it to you. And if you're not doing it already, follow us on YouTube for our video stream. And if you just like to listen to our lovely voices, find us on Spotify and Apple podcast. Yeah, that's a lot. That's a lot. That's a good read though. Hey, listen, that was all off the, the old noggin. I, I still got it. All right. Yeah. We'll, I'm, we'll I'm thinking about how I'm thinking about how I'm going to get a NCAA tournament ticket at Carmichael. I think you have to buy those, or unless you well, get yes. on, unless you get on a pass list, and then then we'll be good to go. 
Coach Banghart, if you're listening, um, we'll can I sit next to we're ready to roll, run through a wall for you. Can we have some tickets? Listen, I'll sit next to Coach Banghart on the bench. I'll be the I'll I will be the biscuit boy of the women's basketball team. Like I will do whatever it takes to win. I will do it. Just Let's give me it. a seat. Just give just, me a seat. That's all I ask. Would you stand? Would you just stand? Would you pass up a seat? Just stand in the building. I would stand, and you know what? When I would stand, I would be standing with the cheerleaders because. I would just be like, you know what? If I'm going to stand here, I might as well do something productive. Let, let's just put you in the mascot uh, costume. You mean, I mean, you'd be Ramesses for the day. I mean, that would be kind of cool. I'm not going to lie. I, I really would. Okay, I would yeah. do it. Oh, I would. You know what? I would do it. If that man, I could go on the court and like hype up the crowd. I would love to do that. That hands down, I would do it. Not even, Wait. not even a question. You just want to go on the court. <laughs> Go heels! Oh, you can't talk, sir. It's okay. Yeah. Go heels. You can't, you can't talk in the suit. You can't talk. Just don't throw me out of any cannons or anything. That's all I ask. I, I don't like heights. Uh, our show I don't like flying and all up. that good stuff. Show's gone pretty lengthy, but let's uh let's not forget about field hockey and women's soccer this weekend at NCAA tournament. Uh, field hockey number one overall seed in the NCAA tournament. Would you expect anything less from Aaron Matson? No, because she's the GOAT. She's the GOAT of field hockey. It doesn't matter if she's on the, on the field, coaching. The, she's just the GOAT. She really is. We're going to have to get her as a pod guest after the season. But that's that's a bucket list. If Courtney Banghart get us tournament tickets and then come on the show after your season, Aaron Matson, this is your cordial invitation to the Talking Hills podcast. You got to come on the show. The GOAT's got to grace us with her presence. Yeah, exactly. So, Friday at noon for field hockey, uh, Women Mary or Sacred Heart. Interesting. And let's not forget, you know, you get into women's soccer, you got field hockey. There's a lot of good things going on in Carolina. Busy weekend. So much going on. Uh, yeah, women's soccer uh, Friday night, 6 p.m. against Towson in the first round of the NCAA tournament. So both of those are in Chapel Hill. If you're in Chapel Hill or near uh, Dorrance Field, stop on by or Karen Shell Stadium. If you're in Chapel Hill this weekend, you should not be doing anything other than attending every single sporting event you can attend. It's a busy weekend, home games. Uh, yeah, field hockey Friday at noon, women's soccer Friday night, football senior night on Saturday, and then men at two, men's basketball at two on Sunday, and women at six. So busy, busy weekend in Chapel Hill. So if you're around or near the triangle, go support the Tarheels. Go support them and make sure you support us as well. We'll be back sooner than you think with a live episode of the podcast. That guy to the right is Jordan Falls. I'm Nick Delahanty. This is it for the very long Talking Heels podcast episode. Hey, it was a it was a fun one. You got to admit, yeah, it was fun. Had a lot to cover. Hey, it's a sign time where fall sports overlap with winter sports, and we'll start breaking our shows up into two segments. Yeah, so you listen. We'll talk some more. We're very good at that. But until next time, we'll talk to you guys really soon. And, of course, before the big weekend in Chapel Hill, go Heels. Go Heels, beat Duke.